Well, I am so glad that you are here with us today, whether you're in person or you're watching from home in Florida, because that is where every New Yorker is. When they are not in New York, they're in Florida. That's something I learned this summer. Um, so, but whether you're here, whether you're tuning in online, I'm so glad that you're here. And I want to give an update on something before we dive into our message. Now, this uh, series actually has been called Lessons Learned, and we've talked about this, that wisdom is more than just the theoretical knowledge of what is right, what is prudent, what is best, um, how to live skillfully. It actually goes just a little bit further than that. It's not just the knowledge, but it's actually action, okay? Action. I read this recently which was convicting because I was reading, said it doesn't matter how many books you read, it matters how many books you learn from, right? And there's a big difference in that, right? You can flip through a lot of books, and at the end of the day, you close the cover and you forget what it said, right? So we, we want to talk about lessons learned, and this isn't, this isn't the topic of the message per se, but I did want to give an update uh, about one of the lessons that we've learned about racism over these past number of months. Um, it's not a new topic, uh, and it's something that has been pervasive in our country, in our world, and still has an incredible effect today, and it's very, very against the heart of God. Now, we've talked about that. We've sent out some emails about it, but here's, here was my concern as a pastor, and I know this was the concern of many people in our congregation, and just in general, was that we kind of have uh, the knee-jerk response, you know? What's, what's the game plan when you come face-to-face -face with something that is so against the heart of God? And, and sometimes what we can do is we can go, well, let's, let's call a special session, let's send a couple emails, let's say some strong words, and then after a couple months, what happens, Right? You stop talking about it, you stop thinking about it, and you move on. Well, that's a problem because one of the lessons that we learned was just how incredibly pervasive racism really is in our country and a lot of our systems and inside of our own hearts. And it gave a new and fresh perspective on, on a pretty old narrative. And so as a church, we've really been praying about this. We, we, we've been praying about it, talking about it, and thinking through how do we not just leave this as a book that we read, something that we went, huh, we should do something about that, and we close it and walk away. How do we make change over time? How do we have a continuum of change where we keep taking steps towards what I'm going to call biblical diversity? right, and it'll be a whole other message some other time, but that is valuing both the intrinsic value and worth that every human being has because they're image bearers. They bear the image of God when God created them, right? Everyone has an incredible value. In fact, everyone has such incredible value that Jesus came to this earth to die for humanity. It's stunning, there could be no higher value given than the very life of God's Son for each and every person. But because everyone has value, it does not mean that everyone is all the same, okay? Sometimes we can get a, a sort of Christian colorblind situation where we go, hey, well, we just don't see differences, right? We just see brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and there's a good intent in some of that, but it can mask really valuing 
and caring about the uniqueness because God is an artistic God. God is a creative God. And so God made this whole world with a lot of variety. And that is represented in lots and lots of different ways through, through cultures, through people. And in that, it's an expression of God. And so when we talk about biblical diversity, we really want to hold up these two facets, right? We want to hold up this intrinsic worth and value that is unilateral for every person, but we also want to recognize and celebrate and praise God for the differences that we see that he is the creator of. And so when we talk about this, how do we make sure that we are wise? Not just knowing some things, but doing something about it. You might have caught an email. I know we've had so many people join us um, recently online, so you may not be on our email chain, uh, about a group of people that we've brought together, and I want you to see them. Some of the people we have here in this room, right, with us today. But really, we've brought together a team. We're calling it, it's a bit of a mouthful, Racial Reconciliation Task Force. And the reason why we're doing this and bringing together this team is to help us as a congregation go, what are some practical steps that we can take, even as early as this fall? How can we take steps towards reconciling a lot of the the racial tensions and racism that's in our system, that's in our hearts, that's even here in these pews? What can we do? And this isn't something just for kind of a a few people who maybe, you know, they're upset about it or maybe they've been impacted by it. This is actually something for all of us. All of us have a part to play in bringing together, reconciling people from all over and showing and displaying the heart and love of God. You know one of the cool things about Trinity, and someone's going to have to explain this to me sometime because I don't know how this happened, right? Trinity Baptist Church, does anyone know what it was called before it was called Trinity? First Swedish Baptist Church. That's why Jesus looks vaguely Swedish on the stained glass, okay? That's why, right? First Swedish Baptist Church, and in fact, uh, we've got an anchor out there kind of in the the foyer that people think was from the ship that came over 153 years ago from Sweden, right? An amazing history of an immigrant church that started. And for a very long time, this was kind of an ethnic enclave, right? It was vastly Swedish, right? The services were were not done in English. And yet, as God has continued to have this mission for Trinity, God has transformed this church to have people from all over the globe, Right at one point, they estimated over 20-some spoken languages in this congregation. People from across the socioeconomic spectrum, lots of uh, diversity around, and church that is a gift of God, right? That's a unique gift that God has given this church. And so how do we steward it well? How do we display the heart of Jesus well when we talk about this biblical diversity. So I just wanted you to hear that. I want you to hear that we're continuing this conversation. It's not something that we wanted to have the knee-jerk response to and then kind of forget until there's some other dramatic thing in the media, right? We want to be talking about how we can take tangible steps. So keep your uh, eyes open and your ears tuned for that. And may God make this church a beacon for what it looks like to really embrace diversity as God has created it. Amen? Amen. 
Okay, now let me talk about our message today. And our, our message today is called How to Be a Spiritual Failure, okay? I entitled it this, How to Be a Spiritual Failure. And this is, again, under the topic of lessons learned. What are the lessons that we have learned throughout this whole uh, pandemic season and time? And I was thinking on some of the lessons that I've learned myself. Uh, just as a, as a pastor, as a person, as a dad, just what are some of the things that God has taught me. Now, I got to preface this by starting with the story. So we had the privilege of going to Colorado, which by the way is like one of four states that are not on the quarantine list for New York, okay? So we kind of looked out there, but we visited family who are out in Colorado, stayed with them for a little bit, and had the opportunity to go to Rocky Mountain National Park. And we're big National Park fans. We love the hiking. Elijah is a junior park ranger. Um, so if you have any questions about wildlife or something, you can catch him after the service, you know? Um, so w- we really enjoy it, right? And I found myself awake early one morning, and we were kind of by a, a stream. I was out there by myself having a quiet time. My son comes out, and we start talking about Psalm 1, about how God imagines the, this blessed life being like someone who's like this tree planted by streams of living water. And no matter the season, right, a really hot, dry summer, um, a cold uh, winter, that that tree can continuously bear fruit. Why? Because it's rooted in a river of life. And this is what I love about kids. This is why I think kids are way better than adults. No offense to the adults in the room. Um, He asks this simple question and goes, yeah, but how does that work? And, you know, I've got to be like a 30-second grader at this point, okay? I have been in school for a long time, right? I've been studying the Bible for a long time, and I've literally found myself, like, embarrassingly so, without a good explanation, right? It's It's such a simple question, or, well, what, how does that work, right? Well, how does the Bible and the Word of God, uh, you know, make you be fruitful in, in all seasons of life? And I thought about that, you know, how to explain it in such a way that even a child can understand. So it, it sent me on this journey, thinking through the Word of God. I found myself in Psalm 119. Now, for those of you who maybe uh, you're new to church, you're new to the Bible— the book of Psalms is, um, it's very poetic, right? But Psalms 119 is a little bit different. It's like a Hebrew acrostic, actually. Every section correlates with a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So it's a little less flowery and a little bit more uh, artistic in a mathematical way, just how everything comes together, right? But Psalm 119 is this long meditation on the Torah or God's Word. How do you love God's Word? How do you follow after God's word? How do you obey God's word over and over and over again? I've got to confess, when you you read Psalm 119, it sounds a little over the top. A little over the top, right? The psalmist is saying, I meditate day and night. It's like it, it gives me the breath in my body. I love the word of God. And do you know what the psalmist is referencing at that time? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. How many of you have said, 
I stay up all night meditating on Leviticus. I just can't wait to continue to wake up till I can read Leviticus. It gives me life, right? It sounds over the top, doesn't it? In fact, let me read you a section from Leviticus this morning. It's a favorite of mine, Leviticus 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when you enter the land of Canaan, which I've given as your possession, and I put a spreading mold in a house in that land, the owner of the house must go and tell the priest, I've seen something that looks like a defiling mold in my house. The priest is to order the house to be empty before he goes to examine the mold so that nothing in the house will be pronounced unclean. After this, the priest is to go into and inspect the house. He is to examine the mold on the walls. If it is greenish or reddish, depressions that appear to be deeper than the surface of the wall, the priest shall go out of the doorway of the house and close it up for seven days. The word of the Lord. Okay? Right? And the psalmist is, is reading this. And the psalmist is looking at books that, frankly, we don't spend a lot of time in. And we go, well, it's not Ephesians, you know? Right? And yet, the psalmist says, your word is life. It is light like a lamp before my way as I walk through the darkness. What does it mean to love the word of the Lord in such a way that you're like a tree that bears fruit in all seasons of life. Let me talk to you about how to be a spiritual failure. And by the way, I don't mean that in the snarky sense. I mean very literally, how do you live out your spirituality in the midst of failure? Turn with me to Psalm 119. And we're just going to look at the first few verses in a very short meditation this morning what does it look like to be a spiritual failure, to love the Word of God in such a way that you bear fruit even in a season of failure and brokenness? Psalm 119, Aleph, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Now pause right there, okay? Don't raise your hand, but think about your life for a moment. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Are you blameless? Who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies and who seek them with their whole heart. Not just part of it, not just some of the time, right? They do no wrong. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Now think about that standard for a moment. Because this is what we tend to do in church, right? right? We, we have this idea that salvation, you go from this uh, wretch who has nothing to bring before God, right? Your, your good works are like filthy garments before God. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. And and we embrace that very much so at this church, and we say it's only by the grace of God that we experience salvation. But something switches, right? As we go throughout our Christian walk, as we go throughout our life, we we tend to shift into a works-based mode when it comes to our sanctification, right? How we become more and more like Jesus, the process of following after God. 
And so many of us, we, we can say these words and go, you know what? You know who the person is who's blessed? The person who's blameless. The person who follows God with their own heart. The person who diligently follows after what God says. And when we take a look at our lives and we go, I don't think I can meet up to that. I mean, it would be shocking if you knew how many times I was failing spiritually in any given day, any given day. Blessed is the person. Here's our ideal. Blessed is the person who follows God with their whole hearts. You know, we read that. Some of us want to stop right there and go, well, I I give up then. I give up. I mean, how could you possibly even do that? Right, you've, you're inspired with this idea. You have this moment that goes, maybe I can do that. But then all of a sudden, your inspiration runs into reality, right? The reality of our broken lives, the reality of our broken relationships, the reality of our broken world. And in that moment, when the ideal, when the inspiration, man, I want to follow God with all my heart, when it runs into the reality of brokenness. It can go two paths. The first path is this, defeat. There's no way I can do it. I'm a screw-up, right? I cannot believe God has got to be up there going, are you kidding me again? <laughs> okay, I'm going to forgive you again, but, but just, I've, just know I've got my arms folded, and I'm huffing when I say it. Fine, you're forgiven, but this better be the last time. Right? And, and, and it breeds this sense of, of all or nothing, sort of a, a defeatism. Blessed is the person who does no wrong, who follows after the way of God, who keeps God's commandment diligently. Right? And so many of us, we get derailed in our failure because we take that path. When our expectations, when our inspiration to follow after God runs into reality, we choose defeat. We give up, at least for a week or two. But look actually what the psalmist says. With this idealized, glowing, this person that just loves the word of God. Verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. You know what's amazing? This, this psalm starts with, with this very idealized, right? What does it look like to be blessed? What does it look like to follow after God, this, this person who is all in, and they're walking this blameless walk, and they're living this blameless life, and, and they're, they're taking seriously in the morning, in the noon, at night, God's commands. And the psalmist switches and says, man, I wish that was me. man, I wish that that was me. I mean, can you just imagine what your life would be like if you, if you really loved God with all of your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and you loved your neighbor as yourself? What would your life be like if, if your ways really were blameless, if you really were reading God's word and you were just enraptured by it? By the way, there's some really cool theology about moldy houses and stones being taken out and what Christ has done for us being removed from the camp. Uh, Hebrews picks that up. There's some really cool things in that. But 
what would your life be like? And the psalmist looks at this picture, and instead of quitting at this idealized kind of inspiration, the, the psalmist says, wow, man, I wish that was me. Because you know what? I wouldn't be experiencing so much shame. Right? When somebody looks at my life and, and they go, you know, that's as good as you've done? That, that's what you've accomplished? That's who you act like? And, and just the shame that wells up. And the psalmist looks and goes, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? And the psalmist, instead of taking the path of defeat, right, when his inspiration runs into reality, and you have these diverging paths. There's the, I give up. I cannot do this. I'm a, I'm a screw-up, and that's all I'll ever be. And you go towards defeat. The psalmist actually takes a different path. Look at it at the very last few verses here, verse 7 and 8. I will praise you with an upright heart. Notice the decision in that. Notice the force of will in that. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. See, when the inspiration runs into reality, you got these choices. I'm going to go towards defeat. I can never be that person. I can never do that thing. Or I go towards aspiration. This idea of this, I I could be a part of this, and God, I want to be a part of it. How do you be a spiritual failure? How do you actually engage your faith in the midst of failure? When you're looking at life and going, man, I so wish that that was me. I so wish that I followed after God in this, like, running after him sort of way. And guess what? I'm not. And if I did, I wouldn't be experiencing as much shame as I'm experiencing right now. But you know what? Instead of going to this sort of defeat, self-focus in that moment, well, I'll never be, the psalmist goes, you know what? It's actually going to be an aspiration for me. God, I will do this. I will praise you. I will follow after you. What's the difference between those two paths? What sends you down the road of, man, God could never use me. I, I could never be this versus, you know what, God? I so want that to be true. I, I will. I'm going to recommit. What's the difference in those two paths? You know what it is? Your view of grace. That's really all it is. Right? A view that says, I am broken. I've been failing. I can say what I think it should be, but man, I'm so far off. And if it depends on me, there's only one path, and that's defeat, because I will never be perfect. But if it depends on the grace of Jesus, the unmerited, unfavored gift of Jesus, then you know what? I can say, God, I will. What does it mean to love God's word, to love God's way? Does it mean I have to memorize Leviticus 14? By the way, if someone does that, I will have you on stage to recite it for us, and we will cheer for you, okay? That'd be awesome if someone does that, right? But 
Does it, mean, does it mean that? You know what it really means? It means to stand back like the psalmist and to go, it's, it's not just the words of God. It's the way of living that God presents. It's believing in my heart that when God says, go this way, it's because that's what's going to make me thrive. And I so believe in my heart that living God's way is going to be best. Even when I don't live up to it, I can step back and go, God, you are God. Your word, your way is what will cause me to thrive. May it be true in my life. May it be so true of me. That's what it means to love the word of God. Love the revelation that God has given, that he has deigned to speak so that we can know about him and we can know how to follow after him. And to love that very truth by itself. What do you do with failure? Right? Some of you are here feeling like a failure. Some of you are not here because you feel like a failure. How do you be a spiritual failure? Let grace do the work of God in your heart. Call sin, sin. Repent of it. And then come before God and say, God, how much better my life would be if I lived like you wanted. And because of grace, may I start anew today, right now, and follow after you. One of the most beautiful things about Christianity is that his grace is new every morning. Regardless of your night, his grace is new every morning. May that lead you to step back and say, God, I will. Today, I will. May you be like a tree planted by streams of living water and experience the grace of God that transforms us and calls us to fix our eyes not on failure, but on the grace of Jesus. Father, today, we come to repeat with the psalmist how blessed are those who follow after you. God, we confess we fall so far short. And God, in whatever ways we think we fail, in whatever ways I fail, the reality of it is we're so far worse than we even realize. We can't even comprehend the level of your beauty, the truth that you have, Father, your holiness. And so we can do what Christians have done for thousands of years. For those who have called upon your name, who have followed after you, Father, we throw ourselves at your feet and your mercy and your grace and say, Father, we want to follow after you. Give us grace to do so. And may we be like a tree. And even in seasons of failure, Father, may your grace bear fruit in our hearts and our lives. And all God's people said, amen. I want to thank you for coming today. Uh, whether you're here in person, tuning in online, thank you for being here. May you have a blessed week and be the best spiritual failure that this city has ever seen. Amen.